Well, we made it through election day, which turned into election week, which has turned into all kinds of other discussions, has it not? And I recognize as we gather today, you know, some of you woke up on whatever day it was. Every day just seemed to kind of flow together, right? Tuesday flowed into Wednesday, flowed into Thursday. But at whatever point on the cycle, some of, we have the whole spectrum represented, right? Some woke up to news and you were just relieved, Others woke up to news and you were grieved, and others woke up to the news and you're just kind of internally conflicted about the whole thing. And all along the way, the whole spectrum is represented here, right, in the broader body here. So let me just reiterate some things you've heard me say over the last few weeks, that no matter what political party you align yourself with, no matter what candidate you choose to cast your vote for, Uh, No matter where you find yourself on that whole spectrum, you are welcome here in this church. So, we are a people here committed to see our politics through Jesus and not Jesus through our politics. And, hear this now, we are committed as the body of Christ… We are committed to relate to one another in the way of Jesus, please. The way of Jesus, which is this, we respect one another, we have grace for one another, and we recognize this, God-honoring, Bible-believing people simply see these matters differently, and that's okay. And the differences don't prevent us from being one family in Jesus. Amen? Yes. And so as I was praying about, Lord, what kind of a word would you want to bring on this particular Sunday in light of our circumstances, I really sensed a leading from him to talk about healing in the wings of unity. We're going to hear a lot of conversations about it's time to heal, it's time to come together, it's time to move forward. And I thought, Lord, I think it'd be really important to look at what do you have to say about healing and unity? Not what others have to say, but what what does God have to say? Because it's no surprise to him that people on this earth get themselves in fractured and splintered and divided situations. That's been going on since Genesis 3. And so God gives some directives to his people. And wouldn't it be something, church, if the body of Christ right now, in 2020, in light of all that this year has been and whatever the coming months are going to be, wouldn't it be something if the body of Christ rose up and we led the way, and we led the way to unity that finds healing in those wings? I think it changed the world independent of whatever party lands in whatever office. Because as the body of Christ, we're committed to pray and support all of our leaders, federal, state, and local level. And we thank all of those folks. There's so many people who've sacrificially given hours and hours and live selflessly to serve the greater good. And our role as a body of Christ is to pray and serve and support and, when appropriate, to challenge 
Because there are some times in which, right, the leaders of our land, it's the role of the body of Christ to stand up and to say, this is what the Lord says. And it's the role of the body to stand forward and say, this is what God's character represents. And so that's our commitment here, the church of Jesus represented here at Eagle. And I'm glad you are here. And I want you to extend that welcome to the other circles around you who may not feel whatever direction they feel, whether relieved, grieved, or conflicted, you are welcome here. And let's open God's Word together today. We're going to look at three of what I think are probably the most well-recognized teachers in Scripture. We're going to look at David, Jesus, and Paul. We're going to look at three different passages, one from each of their lives, and one principle each under the banner of what do they have to say about this desire for healing and unity. So open up to Psalm 133. We're going to start with King David in Psalm 133. And in your Bibles, you'll notice it says a song of ascent. This is one of the songs that the people of God would sing when they were walking to the house of God to worship. Ascent means the temple was on an upward hill. So they would go up to the temple and they'd sing these songs together. In Psalm 133, David says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Notice he says God's people. That's going to be the thrust we're going to see all through this is there is a word for the people of God to lead the way in the unity that everyone is longing for. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. So let's unpack a couple of images here. David draws on, the first is this oil. Do you see this sacred anointing oil running down Aaron's beard? What's all that about? Just write Exodus 30 in your Bibles there, and you can look it up later. But Exodus 30 outlines this sacred anointing oil. They called it holy oil that was reserved just for the inauguration, kind of the culmination of the high priest. And it was made up of four spices, myrrh, cinnamon, cane, and cassia. And these four spices, hear this now, were mixed together in an olive oil. And listen, it's the combination of the diversity of these elements that created the holy aroma and the fragrance that they longed for. Think about this. So David draws on this image and he says, it's the combination in the midst of the diversity, there is a unity that comes forth that can bring a holy aroma that's like this oil that's, notice, lavish and abundant. It's being poured out on Aaron's head, Aaron representing that role of the high priest, through his beard onto the collar of his robe. That imagery is to represent abundance. There's something like lavish about this. And then you combine that with Hermon. Now, what's all the language here about Mount Hermon? If you look up and if you Google Mount Hermon, you'll find that it's the tallest mountain in that area of the world. It borders right up there between Syria and Lebanon. It reaches 9,200 feet. It's most of the year it has snow at the top of it. They say if you visit Mount Hermon, you will find an abundance of moisture in the higher elevations of Hermon, to the point where they said if you stayed overnight on Mount Hermon, if you just stayed out in the open air, you would, in the next morning, you would find yourself drenched in the dew of Hermon. This is the image David was pulling from. Notice he's talking about Mount Hermon now, and then that's to the north. Go to the map, please. And then the map shows 
Notice Hermon's up there in the Golan Heights area on your map there. See the Syria and Jordan border? So that's where Mount Hermon is. And now Mount Zion is in the south in Jerusalem. Zion dry and arid. Zion just outside the old city walls today. And so Mount Zion, notice it's kind of this picture like, like Aaron's beard from top to, to bottom, like covering his body, top of his head, all the way through his robe. You get from the dew of Hermon, notice from the north, drenching and covering all the way to the south of Zion. Do you see the imagery here? And so it's as if David says, here's where you find the blessing of the Lord, like how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like the best that the religious world has to offer. It's the anointing, the holy anointing of Aaron when he's drenched and saturated with this oil that's mixed in a diversity of ingredients that produces an aroma that's just so captivating. It's the best that the religious world has to offer, and it's the best that the natural world has to offer. It's like the dew of Hermon that provides some moisture down to the dry and arid places of Zion. That's where the blessing of the Lord is. That's where it's good and pleasant. As one writer said, it's a picture of this unity becoming a prelude to eternity. In case you want to know how the destiny of this story of the people of God ends, which is probably a good reminder right now, would be helpful for us in reading the book of Revelation these days and say, God, how, do you, how does this whole thing with humanity and all this diversity wind up? Well, there is an end point to all of this, and Jesus says he accomplishes people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. There's a unity in the midst of diversity that's defined ultimately by our destiny. And I think if we can ground ourselves in our destiny and not our current reality, it'll serve us well these days. Because we can get our eyes off of just how fractured and divided things may be and look upon one day there is going to be a unity. And I think Psalm 133, David is looking ahead that way and he says, this is the way it's going to be. It's going to be like the oil running down Aaron's beard. It's going to be like the dew of Hermon flowing from the mountaintops. There you're going to experience the goodness of God. And I wrote a principle from this, I would say, in our language today, I, say, I think David's positioning a oneness that surpasses equality. Listen to how Mark Buchanan put this. Oneness beats equality every time because equality demands sameness. To be equal to you, I have to be as smart and strong and kind and generous as you. But oneness, hear this, presumes difference. To be one with you, I have to accept your gift of otherness. And church, I think one of the layers of healing that God's going to be working during these days is a healing from the pressure of sameness. See, the, the reality is, is that God-honoring, Bible-believing people simply see these circumstances, these situations, these policies, these candidates, these decisions, they just see them differently. But hear this now, difference doesn't have to equal division, and difference doesn't have to equal opposition, and difference doesn't have to equal enemy. That there is a way to respect and honor the gift of otherness in each other. There's a way to celebrate that. There's a unity that can come from the massive diversity. It doesn't mean you set aside the important matters at hand. It just means God's vision for unity is bigger than sameness. There's a vision for unity that can honor and respect the gift of otherness. That's the oil that runs down Aaron's beard. That's the dew that flows from Mount Hermon. 
It's a gift and a respect that division doesn't always have to flow from difference. But actually from difference can, can flow a unity in the midst of diversity that if and when you would experience it, the watching world would say that would have to be God. Which is why I think the charges to God's people were to lead the way here in this. So the first call from King David is look at Psalm 133. Reflect on a holy aroma that flows down from Aaron's beard. Think about the saturation of the dew of Hermon. And think that's a blessing that God can pour down upon his people called unity that surpasses equality. Now, hold on to that imagery, and we're going to go to Jesus now. Flip ahead in your Bibles to John chapter 17. Jesus had some things to say about unity, recognizing how significant this issue was going to be. This prayer he's praying in John 17 is right on the heels of his final conversation and meeting. He was gathering with his closest followers just before he's going to go to the cross. He's got a lot of important things to talk about and to pray about. And in this prayer, often referred to as the high priestly prayer, He prays about unity. Verse 20 says, My prayer is not for them alone, referring to his disciples. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That's Jesus praying for us. That all of them may be, what's it say? One, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that, underline so that in your Bibles, the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that, underline that, they may be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. From those two so that's, I I think we kind of harvest our principle out here from Jesus. So if David gives us a oneness that surpasses equality, Jesus in John 17 gives us a oneness that serves as evidence. Do you see this? The oneness becomes evidence. Because from Genesis to Revelation, Jesus recognizes the the heart of the Father is is a heart that brings back together what sin has broken and splintered apart. So from Genesis 3 on, if you want to know why the world is what it is, so here's your Bible like before sin gets and there's just all this unity of the Spirit. Like this is where everything's the way it's supposed to be. And then here's your Bible with why is it so messed up and complicated and difficult? Why is 2020 the way it is? Why was this week the way it is? Why is it so exhausting and heavy during these days? Well, Genesis 3, right, here's the picture. So here's God's work. God's at work in this mess here about bringing together what sin has splintered apart. Sin fractures relationship. Sin divides peoples. Sin just keeps pushing and splintering and segregating and segmenting. That's what sin does. But God is at work. Notice what Jesus prays that this, the Bible word for what he's praying is the reconciling heart of God. That God is a a father of reconciliation. He brings together what sin has fractured apart. That's what Jesus is praying for. And do you see what he's saying? There's a lot on the line here. Jesus is saying, he's praying this. He's saying, he recognized how hard this is going to be. Because he's praying like, how can it be that if God is a God who's bringing things together, why is it that God's people are always tearing things apart? 
You see, it's like those outside the church are supposed to look at the relationships inside the church and see the reconciling heart of God displayed in our relationships. They're they're supposed to see unity in the midst of diversity, not sameness, but not an equality, but something that surpasses it. They're supposed to see this like oil running down from Aaron's beard that has multiple ingredients together, but yet still produces a holy aroma. They're supposed to experience this dew that flows from Hermon that takes the saturation to the driest place. They're supposed to experience that how? By Jesus saying, hey, that they might be one, just as the Father and the Son are one. So Jesus is like, it's going to get real confusing to the outside world to try to proclaim and preach and teach a God who's about bringing things together if his people are tearing them apart. Do you see that? That's why there's a lot on the line with this issue. And that's why Jesus is praying for it. I've been reading Screwtape Letters recently, C.S. Lewis's uh, writing. If you haven't read it, I commend it to you. So Screwtape Letters, the backdrop on this writing, as only Lewis can do, he came up with this idea of he's going to write letters back and forth between a senior demon and a junior demon in like Satan's kingdom. And he's going to write these letters in a way of like, how does the enemy try to trip up followers of Jesus? And so it's kind of like senior demon training junior demon about how to undermine followers of Jesus. And one of the sections I was reading recently talked about from the senior demon Screwtape coaching his younger demon Wormwood about how to trip them up when it comes to division and conflict within the body of Christ. Here's what it says. Dear Wormwood, I'm writing to commend you on your most excellent strategy for dividing the body of our enemy. And of course, enemy there represents Christ and His church. You now have them debating their differing viewpoints in a tone and tenor that more befits the way we converse in the pits of our fiery home than in the spacious confines of theirs. (laughs) You have them at each other's throats over song selection, scientific theory, whether sexual orientation is a moral choice or not, the willingness to be led by a woman preacher, social drinking, dancing, emergent tendencies, their precious budget allotments, and the way they interpret their book. I have spent many a night, listen to this, wringing my hands in glee at the total consumption of our enemy in these debates. Indeed, the road to our eternal home is paved with divisiveness. Your affectionate uncle, Screwtape. Do you see the battlegrounds that are drawn on this issue, church? Current count today, I was doing some research this week, we have around 200 denominations in the United States today. If you do research on these 200 denominations, a good percentage of them used to be together. Like, you know what I mean? Like this denomination kind of formed as a like reformed church of whatever, but it used to be like they were all together and then they just kind of splintered and fractured off. So around 200 and about 35,000 independent churches today. Now, it doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean the whole thing's a mess. It's just a commentary on What Jesus knew how difficult this would be, that his people, filled with his spirit, living for his name, walking in his ways, would have a hard time staying together. They'd have a hard time being of one heart, one mind, one spirit, one purpose. That sin was going to work its way in and fracture and divide and splinter. And as Wormwood is getting coached from screw tape, I think the enemy has done a pretty good job and continues to work overtime to divide and fracture 
Jesus' people. Because if he does that, he knows he can undermine the reconciling heart of God. So we're to be the ones that the world should look at how the body of Christ loves and relates to one another in diversity and difference and see the reconciling heart of God. Do you see? That's a oneness that flows and produces evidence. That's John 17 from Jesus. And now we're going to wrap up with Paul in Ephesians 4. So flip ahead just a few more books of your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. So from David in Psalm 133, we see a, a oneness that surpasses equality. That there's this call to transcend sameness, the pressure and a healing from sameness, but to respect the gift of otherness. And then Jesus says there is a way to experience a oneness that evidences God's reconciling heart. That they could look upon a group of people who love and serve one another, who are connected to one another, and if you experience it, you know that it has to be God. Because if you've tried to work at this in any measure or length of time, you know how difficult it is. And this is where Paul now will wrap today's discussion with what's the Apostle Paul's commentary on this issue of unity. He says in Ephesians 4, these words, make every effort, underline that, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, underline all the ones here, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. From those verses, I wrote this principle, a oneness that demands attentiveness. Do you notice the attentiveness Paul's drawing to here? That even though this unity is made possible, notice what he says, it's possible by the presence of Christ, it's rooted in the character of God, and yet still look what verse 3 says. It says, make every effort. It demands an attentiveness. It tells me when I hear Paul say, make every effort, it must mean it's going to be quite easy to lose. It's going to slip away easily. Like, you're going to have to work at this. There's a sustained attentiveness to anyone, any of you involved with any leadership position trying to keep any group of people united for any length of time, you know this. You're going to have to be attentive to it over and over. You're going to drift. The drifting goes to fracturing and splintering and dividing. Focused attentiveness is going to, that's what's going to be required to keep people together on the same page, moving directionally in the midst of diversity. That's a work of God. I can only be the Spirit of God doing something like that. Like, you're going to have to work at it in prayer. You're going to have to work at it by keeping short accounts. You're going to work at it by handling conflict God's way. You're going to have to keep working at it by celebrating together. You're going to work at it by paying attention to what and how you say things to each other. You're going to work at it by pursuing the presence of Christ together. Do you see Paul's language of you keep the unity of the Spirit? You make every effort to do this by being caught up with a vision that's beyond unity. Do you see this? Unity is not the ultimate goal. Christ is the ultimate goal. You get caught, caught up with Christ, you get consumed with Christ and filled with His Spirit, and then unity becomes a possibility. Without Christ and the fullness of the Holy Spirit, we've got no shot at this. That's Paul saying there. He's saying, hey, get consumed with Christ, one heart, one hope, one God, one Father, one faith, one baptism. Do you see? Get lasered in on your oneness there. There's where we're going to stay anchored in sameness. Your sameness is anchored there. Like you're going to say, okay, 
what's our common denominator here? One hope, one God, one Father, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. You see that? You get caught up and captivated. The Spirit of God taking over your heart there. Then you've got a pathway to unity. But without that, it's just a pipe dream. And I think that's an important word for our nation today. At the core of all the longing, certainly to come together, certainly to work together, certainly to have unity together, yes and amen, but the pathway to unity becomes the foundation upon which our nation has been founded. In God we trust. Without the Lord, we've got no shot at this. And so as the people of God, we stay on our knees and we pray faithfully and diligently that God will continue to guide the leaders to lead and rule in righteousness, to seek the Lord. Because in that, we've got a shot for some unity in the midst of diversity. That's what Paul's pointing to here. And it's going to take a ton of effort. There's no way we're drifting into this. And so I think that's where, when I think about Paul saying, hey, there is a oneness that demands attentiveness. Get consumed with that. So several years ago, so many years ago, this photo will tell you, Kendra and I went on our first mission trip together. So here's a pic. Now you know why I shaved it off. Kendra's beauty looks, she's just as beautiful as she's always been. That's 20 plus years ago. I can't remember the exact year, mid-90s, somewhere in there. We went to Haiti. We went to the country of Haiti. We did a medical mission trip with some folks who were involved in our church at that time. And we were down there, and that's me attempting to preach through a translator at the local Haitian church that Sunday morning. And it was a really meaningful and memorable time. And I remember during that week, probably the most impactful experience of the week was when a couple of Haitian believers from the church approached me during the week and said, hey, Pastor Eric, would you join us for prayer tomorrow? We, a few of us get together and we pray to start our work day every day. I'm like, well, of course, you know, I, of course, yes. And, he, and, and the, the people said, hey, bring as many from your team as you'd like. I said, sure. What time would you like to meet and where would you like us to meet? And they said, 4.30 in the morning and pointed to the house down the street. I said, 4.30 a.m.? I said, yeah, yeah, 4.30 a.m., Pastor, down the street. And he pointed down there. I was like, oh. So well, I definitely don't have anything going on then. So... Schedule's wide open. So I got a couple other people to join me, and we woke up at like 4.15 and shuffled down to this little side street, and we got within, I don't know, 100 feet or so, and I could hear the music, you know, and there's singing. We get there, and there's this small little house, and it's a little dirt front yard, and there's probably 20 or 30 believers there, 4.30 in the morning. And they've got their own little worship team going, and they're singing, and they've got some folks reading Scripture, and then they break into prayer, and then they sing some more, and they read Scripture, and they pray, and I'm just, I'm just trying to, I'm just overwhelmed by the whole experience. And they go from 4.30 to 5, around 5 o'clock, they wrap up, and then most of the folks go off to their jobs. And one elderly Haitian woman could tell by my nonverbal reaction that she needed to probably talk to me, because I was just standing there. And she came up and introduced herself, and her English was, was quite good. And, and she said to me, she said, you know, I've had a burden to pray for Christians in America. I was like, really? Because I was thinking, like, we're here to pray for, you know, here, classic America. I'm here to pray for you. I'm like, what? And we, she said, no, we've been, we've been praying for you consistently for Christians in America. And I thanked her for her 
inviting me to this prayer gathering. And I said, I was really challenged by the commitment. She says, well, we do this every day, Monday through Friday. This is how we start our work day. And she says, I'm praying for you in America because you've been given so much. It's so comfortable there. And then she said this, it's a very spiritually dangerous place to be. So pastor, I'm praying for you. And I'm praying for Christians in America. I didn't know what to say. And she could tell by my nonverbal that I needed some clarification on just how she approaches all this. And she said, you know, if you're really wondering, like, this morning, like, what's, what's, why would a group of people do this? And how do they do this? And how do they sustain it? And I said, well, I just, I was just thinking, like, I said to her, I said, I was just thinking, like, if I called a 4.30 prayer meeting, I'd have a hard time thinking about me sustaining it, let alone who's going to join me. And then she said this to me. She said, here's the difference, Eric. Down here in Haiti, God is all we've got. God is all we've got. That's 20 plus years ago, church. I've not forgotten that. You know, if God's all you've got, <laughs> then this vision that David and Jesus and Paul have, if God is all you've got, then the pathway to the holy aroma that flows down Aaron's beard onto his rope, it doesn't just become some nice imagery in Scripture we read about. It can become a lived reality if God's all you've got. If God's all you've got, then the evidencing of God's reconciling heart, like that you just say, you know what, in the midst of difference, in the midst of a differing view and different opinion, differing personality, and Jesus actually raised the stake and said, I'm supposed to love my enemy. I'm not just supposed to tolerate them. I'm not supposed to just put up with them. I'm actually supposed to love them. Then this picture that the body of Christ can actually mirror God's reconciling heart. If God's all you've got, then you'll do whatever you've got to do to experience that kind of unity. And if God's all you've got, then you'll make every effort to rise at 4.30 in the morning, go down some dirt road, Worship and sing and pray and read scripture and start your day and head off to your work day and say, because God's all I've got. It was ironic, all the conversations that weren't occurring with that small group of Haitian believers. All the debates that weren't taking place. It was for me a practical taste of Psalm 133 and John 17 and Ephesians 4. I think they got a hold of it. Which amplifies when you go on mission trips, who's helping whom? I suspect at the end of the run, there's many more people helping someone like me showing up in those kinds of settings. And so, church, I close with this. Imagine what our world might look like today. Just imagine if God's people, called by His name, came together with a unity of spirit and a oneness of heart 
in the midst of all the obvious diversity that we have. Can you imagine the ripple effect of healing in our world? If just followers of Jesus, just that core group, God's people living and dwelling together in unity, wow! Can you imagine what your own neighborhood would look like, my own neighborhood? Can you imagine what our church, imagine your workplace, imagine perhaps your own family unit? What, what might happen if God's people simply said, you know what, there is a oneness that surpasses equality. There is a oneness that evidences God's reconciling heart. And there is a oneness with sustained attentiveness that's worth laying down your life for. Church, I believe there's healing in the wings of that kind of unity. That's just not a promise reserved for these days back there. I think there's healing available today. Let's pray together. Lord, this has been a year unlike any year we've all lived through, and exhausting is probably an understatement. We're just all a bit mentally, emotionally fatigued by the whole thing, and spiritually it's been a really intense battle. And yet here we see from your word I think, pretty clear picture of your heart and vision for what you desire in the midst of all our differing opinions and differing views and differing emotions, that you have a desire and vision for us to come together in some kind of way that I just simply pray by the power of your Spirit, bring your people together. Heal the fractures, the divisions, the splintered groups, heal the broken hearts, Help us, God. Help us to experience a taste of this vision of oneness in a unity in the midst of all this diversity, Lord. What would that be like? And for our nation right now and for these weeks we're living, the weeks and the months ahead, may it be so that Jesus, your people, that the body of Christ leads the way. I think about the goodness that could be displayed to the world. I think about the glory that could be given to God in all of that. So you know where each one of us are today. You see into our hearts. You know we're here. Maybe we're really struggling with some stuff. Maybe it's independent of all the stuff going on uh, in our nation. Maybe there's some stuff going on really close to home personally. And I pray you would heal and strengthen give peace, reconciliation. Do a mending back together work where things have broken apart. Or maybe we're here this morning and just through this message we just recognize maybe we're just holding on so tight to some things. We've just got a white knuckle on our view, belief, whatever, and we just need to loosen the grip right now and just surrender even when we can't see, even when we don't understand. Just loosen the grip. Surrender and say, Lord, I trust you. Even if I don't know where all this is heading, I know you are there and that's enough. So God, lift up our eyes today.
and by the power of your spirit, bring us together with one heart, one mind, one spirit, one purpose, that the world might see the Father has sent the Son. In Jesus' holy name.